Welcome to the Violet Ghost Train, where Halloween never ends, where Christmas Eve is always haunted, and where every summer's day ends in a thunderstorm. I'm your host, Crow Violet. Join us. Welcome back this October to the Violet Ghost Train, my dears. October indeed. It's sour nearly and I am in the mood for some fear, of course. Why else would one want to go on a ghost train? What was it that scared you the most as a child? Oh, I had lots and lots of fears. Puppets on TV that were supposed to be for kids. I had nightmares about a gigantic glowing egg that hovered in my garden at night. And then I had nightmares about the Smash Martians as well. But there was one that stayed with me, and it's odd. So let me tell you some stories about small things, little things, fast things that run in the night. Bright eyes and sharp voices and dreadful stories of familiars. And the ones that hunt the hunters in the dark woods. Are you sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. Of course, if you're sitting on a chair or on your bed, well, (laughs) you never know what's underneath. Perhaps you'd like to take a look first, just to be sure. Or perhaps not. I was always unnerved, most of all. Or first of all, I'm going to say, perhaps by the story of the Bell Witch. I was very young and I read far too many things which I probably shouldn't have done, but hey, it made me the woman I am today. For those who might not know, the Bell Witch was a haunting, possibly perhaps not in the usual sense, that was said to have taken place in the early 19th century on a remote farm in Tennessee. 1817 and far, far from anywhere. A farmer named John Bell shot a small animal on his land and he didn't find it after that. But his family home became occupied by an entity, a voice and some other darker phenomenon. Some accounts call the creature Kate. Or Kate Bat's Witch, we don't really know as we have few, if if any, first-hand sources. But that farm was haunted, haunted by someone who expressed affection for some family members and murderous hatred towards others. It's a sharp and troubling story, and it ends in a death, and a lingering legend that itself haunts the land and haunts my imagination and my dreams as a child. Now, you can go away and read up on The Bell Witch, and there's plenty of other better podcasts that talk a lot about the case. But that's not a part I want to focus on. It's that small creature, the one that John Bell shot that day. What was that? Why, I wondered, even as a little kid, did nobody seem to focus on that? Because it wasn't the last time that that particular trope would appear in a story like this one. So I'm going to move across to Cashin's Gap on the Isle of Man, the early years of the 20th century. The legendary Geff haunting, possibly Jeff haunting, Do you know, I've heard it both ways. I'm going to go with Geff because that's how I remember it as being a kid. G-E-F. The ghost of Cashin's Gap. 
Now it's another lonely farmhouse, a troubled family, very isolated and with hints of some secrets perhaps that I might just be reading too much in. And a voice sharp and piping in the house at night. A glimpse of a small furry creature. This time the presence introduced himself, Geff or Jeff. A little extra clever mongoose with the gift of speech and human hands with which he would reach through holes in the wall. Oh, and he'd talk and talk and talk. He would delight, tease, threaten, terrify, enchant and share the gossip he heard from the bus drivers at the town depot. He would kill small game and leave it on the doorstep in the morning. When he grew tired, he would ask to be allowed to return underground before leaving for the night with a cry of Vanished. A hauntingly eerie call, don't you think? Ghost hunters came and went, and the story continues to entrap those who come to it. Geff, Jeff, Geff, remained at that farm for many years, until even the rather dubious figure of Harry, Ply, Harry Price, sorry, the classic 1930s British supernatural investigator arrived, perhaps took photos of something unclear and somewhat furry looking who can say there are others that horrid old racist misogynist H.P. Lovecraft created Brown Jenkin a weasel like thing with worryingly human hands and face that scrabbled to the attic room in the eponymous witch house which by the way is the name where the music genre comes from and but I digress there about the stories of fox-like entities walking on two legs into bedrooms at night in more remote houses. Or, in the centre of the city, the rats and the wall noises that accompanied the Enfield poltergeist. Or, a similar case in Edinburgh. A cat-like thing glimpsed with shining eyes at night that terrified the occupants of a basement flat. Further back, how about those stories they told about the little creatures that accompany witches, the familiars, the heights of persecution. M.R. James wrote about small, scuttling, pale things in the night, a whole pantheon of troublingly similar entities. Which is where my big childhood fear comes in. When I was about nine years old, we had a substitute teacher. She came in while our regular teacher was off with something very unpleasant for a very long time. We never really got along with a new teacher. There was something off about her and she put our backs up. But some things didn't change. And every day there was a story time. 2.30 on the dot. And this particular day was no exception. I can remember it very, very clearly. A big picture book of the type you normally associate with slightly younger children than we were. Landscape, format, full page illustrations on every page... Only a few words of text in large font and the cover showed some fields at night and something barely visible with very big bright eyes that might almost be cute. And the title seemed very cute too. It was called The Taily Poe, A Ghost Story. Well, it wasn't what we were expecting. An old man, a hunter, lives alone but for his dogs in the forest far from anywhere. More often than not, they all go hungry. Times are hard. He seems very removed from civilization, Perhaps too far out into places that he shouldn't be. One night he glimpses a small thing with a huge tail. And he lashes out. He cuts off the tail. But the creature is nowhere to be found. What's a hunter to do? He cooks it up and eats it. 
And then the whispering voice starts. And the hunter can't stand it as one by one his dogs are terrified away into the night by something that moves like a wild critter but talks like a human. Whoever they are, they just want their tail back. And they're going to get it one way or another. That whispered catchphrase of the Taily Post struck me with a peculiar terror. You know and I know. They hiss through the gaps in the cabin walls. I only want my Taily Post. Should I spoil the ending? Well, suffice to say, a room of nine-year-olds were conditioned rather into expecting happy endings. This story very much doesn't have one, from one perspective anyway. It ends with a forest clearing in which you might just find the ruins of a very old shack that once stood there. And if you're there as the sun sets, you might hear a mocking whisper from the trees. Perhaps glimpse those huge staring eyes just for a second as they catch the last of the light. The hunter dies, and not pleasantly. The woods reclaim their land. And the Taily Poe, well, let's just say, they get their tail back. My God, I was scared. I was scared walking home in summer sunshine. I was scared of the shadows at the corners of my house at the end of the garden. The story haunted my dreams for a long time. And as I grew older, I studied folklore and ghost history, demonology, urban mythology, all these aspects. And I became aware of the precedence for this particular story. And I became aware this is an Appalachian folktale. Um, so it's told as a true story originally picked up and rewritten by a number of authors over the years you can search up and find them all it seems to me to be a warning about straying too far perhaps but here's the thing I'm older so much more now at the time of recording I'm pushing 50 I'm queer and openly so and I don't fit in with any particular world and I've spent way too much time alone you notice how I won't call the Taily Poe it? Of course I won't. I've been called it myself far too many times over the years. I've been hunted and attacked and I've had people try and take what was most valuable from me in the places where I thought it was safe, where I thought it was my land, my ground, my forests. I've been the outsider, the monster, and in the eyes of too many people, let's face it, I am still. So I've come to love the Taily Poe. Last month... I had them tattooed on my leg complete with you know and I know. Because I do know and so do they. Sometimes we have to embrace our monsterdom and be the creature from the woods with the bright shining eyes and a whispered voice and sharp, sharp claws to deal with the hunters who stray too far. So, that's one tale. Maybe you could let me know. Your own childhood fears. And maybe you're still sitting on that chair. Are your feet up? Do you want to put them on the ground and see what happens? Do you want to wonder how you'd feel if something very small and sharp just slashed out for a second? Just to brush against it. Or if you heard that piping little voice in the night. Vanished. Or you know and I know. Maybe check under the bed. But don't be too alarmed if someone looks back at you. They just want to know what's going on. 
They just want to talk, perhaps. You never know what you might find out. You may at least get the bus driver gossip. <laughs> this has been another Violet Ghost Train, my darlings. I'll see you again on the ghost train one of these nights. Sleep well.